This is the latest episode of Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Robert McLean. Welcome. It's great to have you on board. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton in Northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We're now looking at um, seven, or well, six, seven, nearly eight weeks of non-stop fire for, across from Western to Eastern Canada. So it's covering a huge area. The fires in Canada are widespread across the country and they are not easy to reach. Most are in sparsely populated areas. Meteorologist Michael Barron spoke with a Canadian agency coordinating the fight to douse those flames. He joins us now with Michael. What are you? What are they telling you? What have you learned? Yeah, they've been working hundreds of fires across Canada, Juliet. Usually the fire season comes in waves. This year it's coming all at once. I want you to take a look at this map here. This shows all of the active fires right now in Canada. 476, three new today. Every one of these that you see here in the red, those are fires that are rated as out of control. We'll zoom in here to Quebec. These fires that you see around Quebec, specifically up here near the Hudson Bay. These are what caused our smoke to degrade yesterday, or our air quality to degrade as smoke came down into the United States. Now, as far as what Canada is doing to fight these fires, earlier today, I spoke with Jennifer Kamau. She's with the uh, firefighting agency, the interagency organization in Canada that coordinates their research sources and here's what she told me about their efforts. So as of this morning there were 482 active fires across the country and about 8.2 million hectares burnt. We've requested international help because um, as I mentioned earlier all the resources or most of the resources in Canada have been put to use which means that every province and territory is using their own resources. So currently internationally we have 1550 firefighters who have been deployed are fighting these fires, but of course there's a lot to fight and it's causing a lot of impacts well beyond northern Canada with that smoke impacting the United States and the lower mainland of Canada alike. Some of that smoke has created some alarming smells for our viewers here in West Michigan. Coming up tonight at 6 o'clock, we're working with local agencies to find out what those smells are and if you should be concerned. Yes, Canada is ablaze, just as Australia was in 2019-2020. And the root cause is unquestionably climate change. Next we shift to a story from the Scientific American, and the story is by Andrea Thompson that has the headline, Why the Heat Dome Sizzling Texas Won't Budge. The story begins, Texas is no stranger to scorching summer heat, but even Texans a growing aware of a major heat dome that has parked itself over the region and will keep temperatures soaring to potentially deadly extremes in the state for the third week in a row. Wiley Publishing in the UK have been kind enough to send me a book for review. The book is History of Climate Change, From the Earth's Origins to the Anthropocene. The book has been written by the Director of the Institute of Geosciences and Earth Resources at the National Research Council of Italy, Antonello Provenzale. I've only read the first few pages, but it looks like a fascinating book. Now here's something from Scientific American about heat waves. 
As you might have heard, heat records are breaking all around the world, from the Mediterranean to South Asia. Most recently, records fell in the Pacific Northwest and Western Canada. Across British Columbia, residents are dealing with a record-breaking heat wave. 17 temperature records fell on Saturday with heat advisories sprawling over much of Western Canada. This is not a usual May. This is not even an abnormally dry May. This is something exceptional. A few places saw temperatures in the mid-90s. For context, that's about 20 to 25 degrees Fahrenheit above normal. Today, we're talking about heat. It's nearly summer in the Northern Hemisphere, and with climate change, today's hot summers will be among the coolest of the rest of our lives. I'm Scientific American's Earth and Environment Editor, Andrea Thompson. I'm Kelso Harper, a SIA Multimedia Editor, and you're listening to Science Quickly. So, Andrea, first things first, how does a heat wave even happen? Heat waves happen when a high-pressure system parks itself over an area for several days. Under these systems, air sinks, which keeps clouds from forming. And if you don't have clouds in the sky, that means the sun can really bake the surface. Imagine getting into your car after it's been sitting in the sun, and you get the picture. Right, and this can be really dangerous. In June of 2021, a particularly strong heat wave in the same area contributed to hundreds of deaths. With climate change, heat waves like this are happening more often, they're lasting longer, and they're likely to become more intense as time goes on. And heat records are more likely to be broken, and in some cases completely shattered. Normally, heat records are broken by a few tenths of a degree. But last week in Canada near Hudson Bay, which still is covered in winter ice, a heat record was broken by a huge 7 degrees Celsius, or more than 12 degrees Fahrenheit. Temperature shot up 40 degrees Fahrenheit over the average. But a heat wave doesn't have to set records to feel miserable especially in places like the Pacific Northwest, where air conditioning isn't as prevalent and where people are less adjusted to heat. And at times of the year, like May, when people aren't expecting them. Heat waves are also particularly tough on the elderly, young children, and people with health conditions like asthma or heart disease. And it's not just the soaring high temperatures of the day that pose a problem. Higher nighttime temperatures mean people don't have a chance to cool down, particularly if they lack air conditioning. And humidity plays a role in our experience of heat, right? Yeah, as anyone who stepped outside on a summer day knows, high temp causes to sweat. That's actually the body's natural cooling system, because the sweat cools our skin as it evaporates. But when the humidity is high, that evaporation slows down and can eventually stop. And with global temperatures rising higher every year, it sounds like the heat waves and summers that are among the hottest in memory today are going to be left in the dust in the future. Yeah, the summer of 1998 was by far the hottest summer on record at the time, thanks to a blockbuster El Nino event, but it's now the 10th hottest. Speaking of El Nino, forecasters are expecting one to develop this year. Can you remind us what an El Nino actually is? Yeah, an El Nino happens when ocean waters in the eastern part of the tropical Pacific are hotter than usual. The heat that releases into the atmosphere shifts around some of the big air circulation patterns that influence weather all over the world. That heat also amps up global temperatures. And how likely is it that we'll see one this year? There's about a 90% chance right now, and it's looking like it could be a fairly strong one, which would mean big weather impacts all over the world. What kind of weather impacts might it have? So in some places like Indonesia, it actually is a lot drier than normal, and they end up with drought and sometimes wildfires that spew tons of smoke into the atmosphere. In other places, it can cause flooding because of higher than normal rains. And in the Atlantic Ocean, it actually 
tamps down on hurricane uh, development. And so we tend to have quieter hurricane seasons when there's an El Nino. Wow, that's really interesting. Okay, so not every summer is going to be a scorcher or hotter than the last one, but it seems pretty clear that we're going to have to adapt to having more hot weather, right? Yeah, and it can seem like we're powerless to stop it, but we can actually control just how hot the summers of the future are. The faster we bring down greenhouse gas emissions, the less roasting and deadly those future summers will be. Right. And local policy interventions can help, too, like by creating more green spaces in cities or painting building roofs white so they reflect more sunlight. If you find yourself in a heat wave this summer and want to know how to keep cool, we have an FAQ linked in the show notes. It covers the difference between heat stroke and heat exhaustion, what to do if the power goes out, and at-home heat remedies. Personally, I'm a fan of a nice cold ice pack on the neck. And so is my dog. Oh, that's so sweet. Last summer, personally, I got by with lots of cold showers, frozen washcloths, and occasionally sleeping in my living room right next to the air conditioner. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta do what you gotta do to keep cool. Thanks for listening to Scientific American Science Quickly. The show is produced by Jeff Del Vicio, Talika Bose, and Kelso Harper. It is edited by Alexa Lim and Ella Fetter. Our music is by Dominic Smith. If you like this show, please consider leaving a rating or a review. Go to Siam.com for more in-depth news and features on all things Earth and environment and everything else. For Science Quickly, I'm Andrea Thompson. I'm Kelso Harper. Until next time, stay cool. Now we shift to a story from the New York Times and it's by Samini Sengupta. The headline for the story is, Dangerous heat and heavy wildfire smoke marched across North America. The story begins... A treacherous one-two punch of heat and fire, aggravated by the burning of oil and gas, scorched a large swathe of North America on Thursday, killing at least 15 people in the United States in recent days, sickening countless others, closing schools and testing basic services that remain unprepared for the new perils of summer. Yet, it's only June. In the United States, a heat dome stretched from Texas to Florida, all the way up to the tip of Missouri, ratcheting up the heat index, a combination of temperature and humidity, to above 110 degrees Fahrenheit in some places. No immediate respite was in sight. Temperatures were projected to climb 15 to 20 degrees above normal in much of the region through the weekend. Now we have a story from The Independent, and the headline for that story is Wildfire smoke leaves 100 million under air quality alerts as nine Texas prison inmates die in heatwave. The story by Oliver McConnell and Irena Bayo begins. The US is currently battling extreme weather events with millions of people under air quality alerts across the Midwest and Northeast while southern states including Texas are battling dangerous heatwaves. Smoke from more than 500 wildfires burning in Canada is blanketing large areas across the country and causing unhealthy to very unhealthy air quality conditions for residents. As of early Friday morning, more than 100 million people were under air quality alerts. Toronto had the worst air quality in the world of all major cities, followed by Washington, D.C., according to IQ Air. In the Latrobe Valley in Victoria, Australia, there's a huge renewable energy transformation underway as the world acts on climate change. The question is, will you be a part of it? Yes, you can. You can go to the Black Spark Cultural Centre in Ivanhoe 
and watch a film, a short film, that tells of this energy transformation. Listen now as we have a short piece from that movie. It begins with a, with a few words from Gunukaya Elder Marjorie Thorpe in the Latrobe Valley. And from that website you'll be able to find details of the screening at the Black Spark Cultural Centre. The event is being organised and sponsored by Friends of the Earth Melbourne. The continued changing of the environment is something that you know you might think is normal growing up, but you come to realise that it's not normal. It's actually about addressing the health issues that have affected my family and many other families in this region. Australia is, is, is so blessed with renewable resources, sun and wind, like we're the envy of the world. There's so much hope there for how things can change and, and what the opportunities are and a lot of people really just want to be part of that and see everybody lifted up. It's how we're going to live in 50, 100 years. The water, the sunlight, the wind, that's the way of the future. But we can't just protest, we have to build the next steps as well. All these other outflowing jobs are created because someone had an idea to do something differently. Yes, we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It's been great to have you on board. This podcast is assembled here in Shepparton, northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people, and I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Now, until we talk again, I urge you all to stay safe and be kind. For everyone you meet, it's fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a friend. In fact, I urge you, implore you to share it with a friend because we all need to know all we possibly can about combating the climate crisis. So I'd love to hear from you, so please let me know and you can email me at number 7 at icloud.com. I urge you to follow this podcast because if you do that, you'll be automatically alerted every time I publish a new episode. And finally, don't forget to check out the show notes because that's where you'll find links to all those stories I've mentioned along with several others. So until we talk again, please take care.